You heard Pastor Larry Dan talk about what God is doing in our church right now, and um, he didn't even tell you all of it. He told you about the baptisms. We had five more baptisms at Grand Prairie last week and three more at South Oaks. It was just a move of God at every single campus of our church. And for those of you who were here, you know it was, it was completely unexpected. I and mean, we ran out of shirts and shorts, and I'm asking, like, if you even know how to counsel anybody, go out there right now because it was lined out the door with people just ready to testify their faith in Jesus Christ. I was overwhelmed by what the Lord did. Totally caught me off guard. And yeah, praise God. Um, there should be a lot of that wooing going on uh, this morning. We're, we're coming back right now earlier in the service to have the sermon because we're going to have a couple songs at the end and get more chance for you to respond to how God is moving because we believe right now the wind of the Spirit is blowing. And I, I want you to know, uh, on Monday morning, I said, Lord, I'm, I'm ready to scrap this entire sermon series. We got it planned out called Journey to the Cross, and we're going to, you know, we had this whole thing during the Lenten season. We're going to be ready for it. But, Lord, if you're moving in a unique way, scrap it all. Tell me what to share. You want me to change it, I'll change it. Uh, I, I'm ready. And as I was praying on Monday morning, I felt like the Lord saying, no, Jason, this is exactly what my people need to hear. Uh, I'm calling them to this season right now. I moved the day I did for a reason. Now, I don't know if you know this, but every revival, which there is a revival right now in our land. There is a revival breaking out on college campuses. If you don't know about it, go read about it. It's happening right now. It's not just in college campuses. There are churches. I got all these reports from pastor friends that saw unprecedented baptisms in their church, and I realized, holy moly, we're, just, we're swept up in something God is doing. There have been times when revival has swept through the land, and it, is, it, it gets to a point where there is no stopping it. Whole cities are transformed, and I'm praying Arlington, Texas is one of those cities transformed by the sweep of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But every revival has been born of two things. You can go look at the history books. It will always have these two things. Number one, it will have prayer. It is born from a people who pray, which if you do not know, every Wednesday night we gather together for an hour and a half to cry out to God. I want you to know, I believe it is more important than ever for you to be a part of our prayer gatherings, especially over these next six weeks as we get ready for Easter during the Lenten season. I, I want to challenge you to make these prayer gatherings your top priority on your Wednesdays. Move things around if you have to cancel things and say, at least for these next six weeks, God, if your wind is blowing right now of your spirit, I want to be a part of it because it's going to happen when we gather together and pray. Every Wednesday, we're going to be in the chapel, the other side of the building at 6.30, from 6.30 to 8 to pray. I want you to be there. I want it to be as packed as it's ever been to people saying, I'm ready to seek you, God. If revival's coming, I want to be a part of it. Always born from prayer. But the second thing in every single revival that is always present is repentance and brokenness before God. A mourning over sin, a lowliness. Maybe you've heard it said before, but, but grace like water always flows to the lowest point. And when we get ourselves low, we experience the grace of God pouring upon us, the power of God coming upon us. And, and this is why I felt like as I was praying on, that, on Monday morning, the Lord said, this is why the Lenten season is important right now. It's a chance for you to get low, a chance for you to mourn, a chance for you to hurt, to sacrifice, to feel pain and release so that my spirit can come take it. Letting go of the world so you can grab a hold of my spirit because I want to move. And in fact, the Lord's saying, this is precisely why I moved the Sunday before the Lenten season started. He didn't want me to back up. He wanted me to press in. So therefore, today we begin a journey, a six-week journey called Journey to the Cross. Now, I, I want you to know it's a very specific journey. It is a journey to the cross, not a journey to Disney World, not a journey to a mountaintop, journey to a cross. 
an instrument of pain and suffering, which means it is a six-week journey of pain and suffering. But I want you to know it is a journey that I believe at the end of, though you have released some things in this world, you will gain so much more of Christ that it will absolutely be worth it. You will experience more of the presence of God, more of the power of God, more of your soul satisfied in God if you'll go on this journey. But it is a journey of pain. But it's a journey that's absolutely worth it. You, anything in your life you have right now, the things that you most treasure, I guarantee you have them because you had to sacrifice for them. There is not a thing that you have that you really treasure that you didn't sacrifice for. I can tell you my, right now, the thing that I value the most in my entire life is my family. God has given me some great things, and I'm grateful for them, but nothing tops my family. But I want you to know, my family comes with a sacrifice. I remember, uh, I don't even know if my wife fully knows this story, baby. I'm sorry you're hearing it in the stage in front of everybody else. But on our wedding day, July 6, 2001, the morning time I'm at my parents' house, and I'm considering what I'm about to do, and I have a moment where I'm going, holy moly, I'm about to lose a whole lot if I step into this. I'm about to lose every freedom of singleness the moment I stand up and I say, I do. No more can I just go play ball with my friends in the evening if I want to, because they call me up and say, you coming? Because now I got to check it over with La Jefa, and I, I don't know <laughs> if I can. I don't get to spend money however I want to anymore, because now we got to do it together. I don't ever get to date anybody else, because I'm saying, till death do us part, and so all that, that part of my life is just gone. There's sacrifice. And I had to weigh it that morning. But let me tell you what I did at 5 p.m. that afternoon. I grabbed that woman's hands and I said, I do, because I knew she was worth more than whatever I had to give up. And for 21 years, I'm still praising God for that decision. Remember that, baby, later on. It's my, my biggest treasure. I had to give up some things, but I gained something so much more. It's the same thing with parents. If you are a parent then here's what I know you know. Parenting is the biggest sacrifice you ever make in your life. Amen. Amen. And if somebody tells you otherwise, then go ahead and note they are not a parent. They do not know. Because <laughs> parenting is all about sacrifice. It, it is, it's incredible how you can love somebody and be exhausted by somebody at the exact same time. But that's what parenting is. You're, you're taking these children around. You love them, but you're carting them around when they're younger. You're bathing them. You're brushing their teeth. They're changing their clothes. We spent, I don't know how many hours we spent yesterday just taking out the old clothes, bringing in the new clothes. We've got so many kids and they pass it down. It's just hours and hours. We're like, what are we doing? We used to be like real humans and now we're stuck up here changing clothes. You know, it's, you, you car, as they get older, you cart them around. They, they start driving, you pray more. I mean, it's just like sacrifice after sacrifice, money, time, energy. And yet there is nothing more rewarding than watching your children thrive. There's nothing like me coming in the garage door when I get home and my kids running up going, Daddy, 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 and grabbing my legs and giving me a big old hug. There's nothing like when I sit down on the couch and even some of my older kids will crawl up in my lap and I'll get to cuddle with them. It's overwhelming. The other day I got a phone call from my daughter who's in college and she just said, Daddy, I just want to tell you, I aced my anatomy and physiology test, got the highest grade in the class. And I was just overwhelmed with joy, like, praise Jesus, my daughter's doing well. No feeling like it. Yes, sacrifice. But it's worth so much more. Everything you have in life, I guarantee, if you treasure it, it had a cost to it. That's what the season of Lent is. It's a season where you pay a price for something so much more. Not a financial price. 
It's a price of sacrifice, of suffering, of letting go, of giving up, because you treasure Jesus more than whatever that thing is you're giving up. It's a journey of pain, but it's a pain with so much more gain on the other side of it. So I want to challenge you to enter into it. I want to challenge you, though, not because I tell you it's good. I want to challenge you to this journey because Jesus himself told you this is how you get more of me. You see it in Luke chapter 9. Open your Bibles up, if you will, to Luke chapter 9. We're going to jump into a really well-known passage of Scripture. In a moment, we're going to start in verse 23, but before we get there, I want to set the stage in Luke 9. It's important you understand what's going on, the scene. So at the beginning of Luke 9, Jesus does one of his greatest miracles where he multiplies food. Two fish, five loaves of bread, feeds 5,000 men. If you throw in women and children, it's probably over 10,000 people who are there being fed by these two fish and five loaves. Huge miracle. All the followers of Jesus are going crazy right now, and they want to label him king because they believe he's the one who's going to overthrow Rome. They're ready to have him be their Messiah. And if, if you know the story, Jesus actually escapes and says, no, 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 that's not my destiny. And he gets away from them. He takes his disciples. And then a little later in chapter 9, he says, hey, guys, I, I got a different story for you. My destiny is not to overthrow Rome. My destiny is to actually be rejected and tortured and murdered by the very people I came to save. That's my story. And while this bomb is still reverberating in their brains, he lobs, he lobs one last little grenade in their minds in the passage we're going to read today in Luke 9, verses 23 through 25, and shatters their idea of what it means to follow this man, Jesus. Listen to what it says, Luke 9, 23. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Now, what Jesus is trying to do here is he's trying to help you understand a philosophy this world does not give you. It, it is so counterintuitive, in fact, that it's, it's actually really difficult to see what Jesus is trying to teach us here. What he's trying to show you is that there is something of such extreme value that nothing in this world can even compare to it. He's trying to put a carrot out in front of us. L look back at, right, at verse 25 again, if you would. I want you to think about it. He says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Here, here's what's interesting about that verse. It actually, in English, supplies a word that's not in the Greek. It, it, if I were to read it more literally, it would say, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits? But it doesn't say himself or some versions say his soul. That word is added. It's not in the Greek. And I think that actually tells you a bit more of what he's saying. What he's doing is a comparison here. He's saying you could gain the entire world, all that there is, and it won't even compare to what you would lose if you sought that instead of Christ. I've got something to give you that is so much better. You could have it all, and it still won't compare. What I give you is better. What I give you satisfies you more. What I give you will bring joy and fulfillment and peace and meaning in ways the world never can. He's offering us the greatest thing there is. Let me go ahead and tell you, you have an enemy right now. And whether you think this is archaic or not or uh, superstitious or not, I'm going to go. The Bible is very clear. You have an enemy called the devil. And the devil does not want you to believe that the, the Lord is offering you something greater than the world is. If you look at the way he tempts, his number one tactic is to get you to settle for the world so that you miss what God has to offer you. It was the very temptation he made to Jesus. I want you to keep your place in Luke 9, but I want you to skip back to Luke chapter 4. This is the famous temptation of Jesus passage where you see the devil go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Jesus. And I want you to, to zero in, to focus in on the second temptation. It begins in verse 5. 
Luke chapter 4, verses 5 through 7. Listen to what Satan throws at Jesus. It says, and the devil took him, talking about Jesus, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. He takes Jesus up and he says, look, look at all the kingdoms, look at all the power, look at all the pleasure and indulgences the world has to offer. I'll give it all to you. All you got to do is bow down to me, Jesus. He's offering him the world. Now, Jesus, as you know, he doesn't take the bait. He knows, now, there ain't nothing in this world worth what my father's going to give me. And so he easily says, you know, you're going to worship the Lord God and the, word, the Lord God alone. I don't take it. He didn't take the bait. Let me go ahead and give you some really bad news. This room is filled with hundreds and hundreds of people who take the bait every single day and they don't even realize it. Because Satan makes that exact same offer to us. He comes to us and says, look at the kingdoms of the world. Look at all the indulgences of the world. Look at all the pleasures of the world. I offer this to you. All you got to do is just go away from him and come to me. The problem is he's so good at it, we don't even realize he's enticing us. Now let me tell you about the devil. The devil is called the ancient serpent, and he's called the ancient one for a reason. He's been around the block a few times. He's, he's been on this world doing his work for a long, long time, and he is really, really good at what he does. And what makes him so good is that he knows if he wants to entice you, especially if you love Jesus, that he's going to entice you not with bad things, but with good things. He's going to want you to draw into things that should be received as gifts from God that are easily let go of. And he's going to cause you to fixate on them to the point that you're so focused on these good things that you miss what Christ is doing. And when you miss Christ, he just sits back and laughs knowing he's got you. You're missing the greater thing because you bought the temptation that Jesus didn't. He couldn't get Jesus, so he's going to try to get his people. And that's what he throws at us. There was a sermon I preached a few years ago that had this theme that I, I, I would want to say to you again and again and again. It's worth remembering. But here's what it is. Never settle for a good thing when you can have a God thing. Never, ever settle for something good when you can have something from God. We have a lot of good things in our lives, things that are, are gifts to us to enjoy. We were created to enjoy them. We have things like food that is such a beautiful thing from God, given for us to find pleasure and enjoyment in. There's a reason why our taste buds are the way they are. We're, we're, we're supposed to delight in these things. There's a reason why when we see something beautiful, it automatically, whether it's human form or a mountain or a sky or a sea, we automatically well up with delight inside of us. There are certain activities that we do that bring us delight. And we're supposed to be able to, to enjoy those things. Listen, that bluebell you have at nighttime, you're meant to enjoy that scoop of bluebell. It's supposed to be a delight for you. That, I, I know you have that Netflix show that you watch, and it's just like I mean, you, you've had a hard day, and you finally get to sit back and just enjoy a little break. Listen, it's good. It's, it's most of them. Some, some of them aren't, but most of them are good where you can just sit back and enjoy it. But here's where the devil is so crafty. He takes this thing that is not harmful in and of itself, and he turns it bad. He twists it. He contorts it. And here's what he does. He lets that good thing become a bad thing so it gets in the way of a God thing. The moment it starts getting, getting you away from seeking Christ and valuing you Christ, that good thing has now become a bad thing no matter what it is. That good thing has become a pathogen, a disease-causing agent inside of you that will kill you. Now, it's interesting. What I, I learn often 
as I counsel with people and pray over people, and they come to me with sicknesses, there's a lot of church members who are struggling with sickness, the story is often the same, especially with cancer. People don't realize they have cancer oftentimes until it's too late. They look totally normal from the outside, but inside there's a pathogen, a, a, a disease that is killing them. And oftentimes, by the time the ramifications show, you have to treat it so aggressively. If you'd, caught, if you'd caught it early, it'd be so much better, but you don't know it. This is why regular checkups with the doctor are so important. They do scans, they do blood tests, and all this. What they're trying to do is find out if there's anything inside you hurting you in a way that you can't readily see. Well, I want to tell you, there is a way to do regular heart scans on you, spiritual scans to see how you're doing. Because the way the devil works, he takes good things, you can't often see them becoming bad, so you have to test. And here's the number one way you test yourself. Heart scan. You eliminate some of the good things for a season and see how your body responds. You take away some of these delights for a moment and you see how your soul is. And what that's doing is showing you how these good things, some of them have become bad things because you don't want to let go of them. There, there's a, an incredible book, I would recommend you read it, called Celebration of Discipline by a guy named Richard Foster. It's a great book specifically for one chapter on fasting. And he says something really intriguing on there. He, he talks about the way the body responds to fasting. Fasting is not a normal practice for many believers in the United States of America. And, and I'm not really sure when it went out of vogue, but it, it's not common. But one of the main reasons why it's not common is because of the nature of denial that it has. This is one of the very reasons why Jesus said what he said. You read it, Luke 9, 23. He says, if anyone wants to come after me, the first thing, let him deny himself. I'm going to tell you about self-denial. That's not very popular right now in our world. In the U.S., you want to know what's popular? Self-achievement, self-actualization, self-realization. Now, these are popular. Those will sell books. Self-denial, not so much. I, I, I don't, no one wants that. And the reason why is because it hurts. This is where Richard Foster in his chapter on fasting is so important because he says, when you fast, you'll notice that when you don't hit the regular meal times, your body starts reacting oddly. You'll start to hear in your stomach. Like one hour after you're supposed to normally eat, you'll start to feel kind of famished a bit. If you have kids, they'll, they'll say, oh, I'm starving. Like they're not really starving. But it feels like they're starving. There's some of you starving right now. I can, I can hear you starving right now because the sermon's going long. Your body, it's so used to routine measures of food. And what he says is, honestly, all that is is a spoiled little child inside of you throwing a temper tantrum. That's all it is. You're, most adults can go two to three weeks without food, water only. Now, all you're going, ain't no way that's possible. And the only reason why you think that is because you get one hour over and you feel like you're dying. All it is, is your body laying on the floor, kicking and screaming, throwing a temper tantrum. So he says in that chapter, the thing you got to do when you're fasting is you just tell your body to sit down and be quiet and get over it. You're going to be just fine. And the crazy thing is, it actually works. You ask anybody who goes on our prayer retreats or does the, the daily fasting, and they'll tell you the same thing is true. You, you're hungry. It feels like you're dying. And then an hour later, you're like, oh, I'm not even hungry anymore. It's because you're not dying. Your body just finally gave up. I'm throwing a temper tantrum, but you're not listening to me, so I'll give up. I'll come back later. And that's the way it is. You have to tell your body, stop being such a spoiled child. So giving up food, eliminating something that is good, shows you when something owns you other than Christ. Food is meant to be a delight. 
But there are some of you, and I'm going to challenge you in a moment to join me in fasting, who will say, ain't no way I'm doing that. Let me go ahead and tell you, if that's your heartbeat, that may be a clear sign the scan is showing there's a pathogen inside of you. Something as good as food, if you're not willing to eliminate it, it shows you that you might love it more than you do Christ. I'm not trying to project on you. I'm just telling you this is the way that you discover where your heart is. This is why I believe during the Lenten season, it's a great opportunity for us to test some of these eliminating factors. I want to challenge every one of you who is physically able to, and that's a lot more of you than to think, to join me in a weekly 24-hour fast, one day a week, every Wednesday, that you would join me in fasting and in prayer. And because it's a 24-hour fast, it's really only skipping two meals, breakfast and lunch. The way it works, on Tuesday night, you eat dinner like you normally would, and then right after you finish dinner, now you're officially in the fast, but you're not hungry yet, you just ate, and you go to bed that night, you're switching over to water only at that point. Then the next morning, instead of eating breakfast, you, you, you slide away and you read your scriptures a little more, you spend some more time, read your Lent devotional, do whatever you gotta do, be with the, with the Lord, and then at lunchtime, do the same thing. Instead of your 30-minute to one-hour lunch break, you go somewhere else, read the scriptures, pray, journal, seek the Lord, and leverage that time in prayer. No snacks, no anything. You come to the prayer gathering on Wednesday night at 6.30. You pray your little hungry brains out from 6.30 to 8. And then when 8 o'clock hits, we're going to sing hallelujah. We're going to have a time of prayer. I'm going to say you're sent, and you're going to go right over to dinner, and you're going to break the fast. And we're going to do that every single Wednesday during the Lenten season, six of them. I want to challenge you to join me and to take it seriously so that you can scan your heart for a bit and see where am I at. Do I own it or does it own me? Again, I know the moment I say I want you to fast, there are some of you going, that brother's crazy. Now I know this church is a bunch of extremists. I'm out of here. No, this is routine scripture. If you believe the Bible to be true, this should not be shocking to you that I would call a corporate fast. There were times all over the Bible where it said consecrate a fast, call together an assembly. That's what we're doing because we want to join in. We want to experience the sufferings of Christ to some microscopic degree so we celebrate even more what he's done for us. I want to challenge you to it. I want to challenge you, though, not just to fast one day a week. I want to challenge you to do something daily because that was the second part of verse 23. It said, if anyone wants to come after me, he said, deny himself. And then it says, take up your cross daily, then come after me. It's interesting. Uh, two things about that that are interesting. First of all, what he said, when he said cross, it meant something very different to his disciples than it means to you and me. When you and I hear cross, we think a necklace. We think artistry. We think beauty. We love the cross because the cross is a symbol of our faith. It's a symbol of God's power. It's beautiful. But that's not what it meant to the disciples. When the disciples heard cross, what they thought of was Roman execution. They thought of pain and suffering. They thought of sacrifice and death. And Jesus says, I want you to pick up this symbol of sacrifice and suffering and death daily. Now, in the Greek, it actually is a little stronger. It says, according to each day, which means I want you to take up this symbol of sacrifice and suffering every single stinking day. Come after it again, and when you wake up again and again and again. And this is where the season of Lent can actually be such a gift for us. One of the things that I challenge people to do every Lenten season is to consider a few things that they would choose to sacrifice during that season to keep their minds constantly based upon Christ, to recognize that he gave up so much more, I can give up this thing of value to me. 
If you were at the Lenten service, we gave you a list. We have a, a few of these actually in the, on the uh, stands on the doors as you're going out. It's just this thing that says Lent on it. And then it has 21 ideas of things that you could sacrifice for Lent. It doesn't have to be on here, but there are all kinds of things that you could sacrifice. Things like coffee. I made some of you really mad just saying that. Uh, sodas, sweets, carbs, social media, video games, Netflix, fast food, makeup, uh, sleeping in, salt, eating out, all music but worship music, like all, all these kind of things that you could pick out right here. And you say, okay, over the next six weeks, I'm going to let go of these things because what I'm, I'm doing is scan on my spirit. Do these things own me or do I own them? If I can eliminate them and press into the Lord more, then I know my heart's okay. If I struggle to eliminate them, I know there's something wrong with my heart. It's got too much of a grip on me. And if there are any of those things that I said that you're like, Ooh, I ain't touching that one, that's probably exactly what you need to be giving up during this season. Because the Lord is challenging you to value Christ above anything of the world. There are things that these are just pleasures, nothing inadvertently wrong with most of the things on that list. Swearing's on there, that's probably wrong. You shouldn't do that. But other than that, you know, most things on there aren't wrong. They can actually be really good things. But remember, a good thing can become a bad thing if it gets in the way of a God thing. And I believe God wants to do bigger things in your life, and he's asking you to be willing to give them up. And I want to challenge you during this Lenten season over the next six weeks to determine that you want to give them up. Because the end of that journey of pain and of suffering and of sacrifice is more intimacy with Jesus Christ, and he's absolutely worth it. Now listen, I'm, I'm calling you to do this, to, to dig into the season of Lent, but I also know that Lent can be a beautiful gift or it can be a poison that kills you based on how you approach it. So if you've been asleep, give me your attention right now. Wake up. I don't want you to miss this because I don't want you to hear anything other than what I'm trying to say. Because, again, you could be poisoned in your soul if you approach it wrong. If you approach Lent thinking that somehow God will be more pleased with you, that God will absolve you of your sins if you fast or sacrifice, or God will love you more or save you more if you give up these things, it will kill your soul. It will be a poison to your soul. Lent, and hear me, write this down, do whatever you got to do to etch this in your brain. Lent and making sacrifices for Lent cannot absolve you of sins. It cannot save you, and it cannot make God love you anymore. I'm going to say it one more time because I want you to get that. Lent cannot absolve you of any sin. It cannot save you. It cannot make God love you anymore. The only thing Lent is good for is to make you appreciate all the more what Christ has done for you. To say, I'm entering in this microscopic little suffering, but Jesus, you did so much more. And if this just helps me remember how much more you did, then it's worth it. Lent does not make you more deserving of the grace of God. It's only supposed to make you more aware of the cost of that grace that was freely given to you. But if you can go in and make these sacrifices then it will help you fall more in love with Jesus. That's my goal. My goal is that by the time Easter Sunday hits, you are jumping up, you are shouting your little brains out because you are so in love with Jesus, the one who actually did what he called his disciples to do. The reason Jesus could say, listen, if you want to come after me, deny yourself, pick up your cross and come, is because he did that for us. He was the one who denied himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was the one who actually bore the cross. He was the one who, who had his hands nailed into that cross, his feet broken into that cross, thorn 
on his brow, his back open from being lashed and splinters digging in. He gave up all that stuff. And then he says, listen, all I'm asking you to do is to join me in a small part of what I've done. If you can do that, then you appreciate the love of Christ more than you ever have. And if by the end of this journey, you fall more in love with Jesus, then Lent has done its job. Now, I want to help you consecrate these next six weeks. And so here's, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite some movement right now. I know we have deacons that are going to be moving. Deacons, I'm going to invite you right now, if you don't mind, to go grab these crosses. And what they're going to do is they're going to go get a bunch of these little crosses right here, and they're going to station themselves around the room. Now, while they're moving, don't fix your attention on them. I need you to give me your attention so I can explain what we're about to do. I'm inviting you into a six-week season of consecration. And I'm inviting you in a moment to go up to one of these deacons and to get one of these crosses from them. And what I'm inviting you to do over the next six weeks is to daily wear this cross. Now, this is not what it means when it says take up your cross daily. This isn't it. This is a symbol of consecration. It is a reminder, though, that I'm entering into a season of lowering myself, of fasting and prayer, of sacrifice. I'm choosing to walk into this moment. Over the next six weeks, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but you're going to try your hardest to walk after the Lord in these things. What you're going to do is you're going to go to one of these people in a moment, and you're going to get one of these crosses, and they're going to, they're going to say something to you. They're going to say, this cross represents or means the symbol of your consecration. You're going to grab it, and you're going to go back to your seat, or, or maybe you're going to come to the front and bow down, however you want to, to, to do this, and then you're just going to look back, and we're going to find a cross that we're going to put up on the screen back there, and you're going to look toward that cross, and you're going to say to the Lord, Lord, I choose to consecrate myself right now. I, tru- I choose to walk with you over these next six weeks, God. I, I want to experience pain and suffering, Lord, if that gives me more of you, because you're worth it. And then once you've consecrated yourself, you, you put the cross around your neck. And then for the next six weeks, you daily wear it. Now, I'm not saying you got to shower with it or, you know, you know, you have to wear it to bed at night or anything. Just every day you put it back on. And it's a daily reminder of this consecration. And at the end of six weeks, when we gather back together on Good Friday, we're going to be here at 7 p.m. on Good Friday before Easter Sunday. If you've been wearing this cross over the last six weeks, doing your best to experience this moment of consecration, you're going to have a chance to take this cross off and lay it down at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ and remember that he paid the price, not you. And what you've done is just to experience more of appreciation for his cross. And I believe it'll be a beautiful moment if you choose to walk into this. So not yet, but in a moment, I'm going to invite you. And don't worry about time. We're going to finish the sermon a little bit early so that you have enough time to go get that and to continue to worship God. You don't all have to rush. We'll have a couple of songs where you can move and get that. And even if you don't get it, we have plenty of them. We, Angela has been working with a team of people endlessly to get all these ready for us to make sure we have plenty of them for you. So you will get one if you feel like you want to walk into the season of consecration. But before I open you up to do that, I want to say something really important because there are some of you that can confuse this too. If you get a cross and you put it around your neck, this is not a good luck charm. This will not make God bless you more because you wear a cross around your neck. This is not anything that will take away your sins. Like I was a sinner, but I put this cross on and now they're taken away. It doesn't work that way. This cross around your neck will not save you. Only faith in Jesus Christ can save you. And I believe there are some of you who are here today and you need to make that decision. I, I want to finish up with just two quick verses back where we were in Luke 9. 
I want, I want to go back to verse 25. I want to read it again where he makes that comparison about the world and losing yourself. And then listen to the next verse. Luke chapter 9, verses 25 and 26 say this. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. He says, don't forfeit your soul. Don't forfeit yourself. Don't forfeit the life I'm trying to give you. And then he turns right around and says, don't be ashamed of me. Now, it almost feels like he's, he's out of place. Why is he talking about shame? Well, the reason he's talking about shame is because he's just said, I want you to pick up your cross. Remember, to the disciples, the cross meant something very different than it means to you and me. When it says, take up your cross, every disciple would have known it was a reference to what they did in Roman execution. There would be a person who would have to carry the crossbar of the Roman cross, and they would parade him through the city, and people would scream at him and mock him and spit at him and throw things at him. Because as you walked through the town with that cross, it meant that you were deserving of death, of Roman execution. There was shame in carrying that cross. And when he tells us to take up the cross, he's saying, take up the shame. When you take up the cross, you are saying, I am worthy of death before Almighty God. I am broken. I am worthless. I am defiled before God. But he says, don't be ashamed of my shame. Bear it proudly. Now listen, when we take up our cross, the, the time that we come and say, I'm, I'm not going to be ashamed of Christ. I'm ready to walk with him. That symbol isn't putting a cross around your neck. That symbol is the baptistry right over here. Because that place right there is the symbol of death. When somebody walks into that baptistry, you can have no dignity. Because you are saying, just like the person going to the streets of Jerusalem, I am worthy of crucifixion, suffering, death. I am worthy to go into the grave. That's the only thing I'm worthy of. You are saying, I am a sinner and I am broken and only Christ can save me. And when you come out, you remember that in Christ we have resurrection. And he and he alone can save us. And he's saying, don't be ashamed of symbolizing your death and your burial and your resurrection. Don't be ashamed of me. I am the one who offers you life. There must come a moment in your life when you deny yourself. Not just a, a thing, not just soda or caffeine, but you deny your own identity. The old me, dead and buried where we take up our cross, the instrument of death, where we die to self and we come up in Christ Jesus. And the way that you show you are not ashamed of the shame of Christ is to step in this baptistry and say, I want everybody to see I belong to him and he belongs to me. And I believe there are some of you, before you go get a cross, you need to come down front and say, I'm ready. I'm ready not to be ashamed any longer. I'm ready to bear that shame because I want the life that comes in Christ Jesus. Listen, don't worry. We're gonna make sure you get a cross if you come down to be baptized. Don't feel like you got to do that first. You come first to hear and say, I'm ready to experience this. I'm ready to trust in Christ Jesus. I'm ready for the world to know the old me is dead, the brand new me is here. And let me also say, we're going to have pastors and prayer team members down front because every week there are many of you in this room and you need prayer. Remember, the same cross that saves us from sin also brings the power of God to every single need of our lives. We're about to sing a song that says the cross has the final word. That cross has the final word in every area of your life. And if you are in need, if you are in pain, if you need God to move in some aspect of your life, we're going to have prayer team members down here who are ready to join hands with you and to cry out to God through the power of the cross to ask him to move. Listen, you're going to have time to get one of the crosses. Don't worry. If you come down first and you pray with us, you can go find one of the deacons. We will get you a cross. 
but you need to respond to Almighty God right now. So I'm going to invite you all to stand up, if you don't mind. You've already seen where the people are around who are ready to pass out the cross to you. What I'm going to invite you to do, I want the staff and the prayer team members to pull their way around over here in the front. If you need prayer today, you come, be prayed over. If today you're saying, today is the day where I say I am unashamed of the shame of, of, the, of the cross, I'm ready to express my faith in Christ through baptism. You come, let us know. We'll help you take that step of faith. And the rest of you, you're going to grab one of those crosses and you're going to say, all right, Jesus, I'm ready. You're going to look toward this cross over here on the stage and you're going to say, Jesus, I make a commitment to you that for the next six weeks, I'm going to consecrate these days. I'm going to seek you. I'm going to value you more than whatever you're calling me to give up. Food, substance, whatever it may be. And after you, put that, you make that prayer, then you put that cross around your neck and you sing to Almighty God and don't hold back because he deserves your unfiltered praise today. You respond as you need to.